Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Business Leadership Today podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tenney. As an active CEO of two companies, my goal is to build and sustain world-class organizations that make a positive impact on the lives of employees and on the global community. I have a lot of questions regarding how we can continuously get better at this and achieve our goals. And through this podcast, we reach out to top thought leaders to get answers to those questions, and we give you the opportunity to listen to their answers too. This episode is part of a series we're doing on how to build a workplace culture in which leaders and team members truly care about each other. My guest today is Chester Elton. Chester has spent two decades helping clients engage their employees to execute on strategy, vision, and values. His work is supported by research with more than a million working adults, revealing the proven secrets behind high-performance cultures and teams. He is the co-author of multiple award-winning New York Times and number one USA Today and Wall Street Journal best-selling leadership books like All In, The Carrot Principle, Leading with Gratitude, and their newest book, Anxiety at Work. His books have been translated into more than 30 languages and have sold more than 1.6 million copies worldwide. I am really looking forward to hearing Chester's insights today because they're based on an absolute ton of research and trends that he's noticed working with a large number of the best workplace cultures on this planet. Chester, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited for the conversation. Me too. So in a moment, Chester, we, we like to kick things off early on by providing a lot of value up front. And I'm going to ask you to list off the 10 things that you think are most important for a leader to be doing in order to create a, a workplace culture where leaders and team members truly care about each other. But before we do that, uh, I always like to open up with a story that kind of introduces the thoughts of a guest. And I know in, um, in which book was it? Uh, Leading with Gratitude, you shared a, a story about WD-40 and how they went from having an average culture and we could dare say average business results to creating an amazing culture where people do care about each other and having incredible business results. Can you kick us kick off the episode here with that story? Absolutely. You know, I, I love telling the WD40 story because the CEO, Gary Ridge, has become a really dear friend of mine. Uh, and I really, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't say, look, it was all because of me. <laughs> he just wouldn't. And yet, it really is all because of him. <laughs> Gary has a, a wonderful background. He's, he's an Aussie by birth. He's living in San Diego now. And when he took over as CEO of WD-40, they were a good company. You know, I mean, many people think WD-40 is part of a bigger group like P&G or something. They're not. It's mm. WD-40. It's a lubricant, you know, right. and, and amazing things. We've all got a can, you know, that blue and yellow can with the red cap. We've all got one. No, yeah. no doubt about it. Well, Gary comes in and the story we tell about him that is so wonderful is in the last recession, 2008, you know, um, he's touring his various facilities and his people are coming up to him and, and they say, hey, Gary, are you OK? And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. He goes, no, really, Gary, are, are, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing fine. He says it kept happening over and over again. Finally, he says, I get back to my hotel and I call my wife and I said, honey, do I give off like a sick vibe? Do I look unwell? <laughs> right. And, and his wife said, uh, Gary, they're not, they're not asking, are you okay? They're asking, are we okay? As a company, are we okay? 
And then he, he uses one of those great expressions. He said, and that, at that moment, I decided we're not going to waste a good crisis, right? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to double down. We're everywhere where people are going, they're hearing about the, the horrors and the bad news. When they come to WD-40, they're going to hear about hope. So we were in good financial uh, situation. We're going to double down on research. We're going to double down on our people. We're not going to lay anybody off. Now, we may not be hiring because of the downturn. We are going to get ready so that when things turn around, and they always do, we're going to be ready. Mm. Well, he talks about his culture as being a tribal culture. We're not coworkers. We're not teammates. We're not associates. We're of the same tribe because in a tribe, it's deeper. There's an emotional connection. We look out for each, each other. We, we cheer for each other. We protect each other. And it's really interesting because in that culture of caring, things really took off. You know, when mm-hmm. you look at engagement scores, he has a 99% engagement score at his company. Which oh, my is, gosh. It, oh, yeah. I mean, the average is what, like 28% or something. Um, proud to say that you work at WD-40. Again, it's in the high 90s. And, you know, when 2010 rolled around, you know, they went from, you know, $250 million company. Well, 12 years later now, right? Um, their, their market cap is like 3.5 billion. Oh for an internet. I mean, the, the, the exponential growth. And if you talk to Gary, it's all about their culture. Now, I will give you a little quiz here, Matt. See how, how, how WD-40 savvy you are. <laughs> okay. um, what, what does WD-40 stand for? I don't know. I actually never looked that up, Chester. Yeah, I mean, we all, oh, WD-40, we all know what it is. It actually stands for water displacement 40th formula. Mm. So their history is their, you know, their founders literally were mixing different, you know, potions in bathtubs, right? <laughs> right. And it took them 40 tries. So this is what's really key, I think, to a, a culture of caring. Gary says, we don't make mistakes at WD-40. We have learning moments. He said, you know, mm. we didn't make 39 mistakes. We had 39 learning moments to get to that 40th formula that made all the difference. Well, in a culture of caring, if I'm not worried about making mistakes, if I'm looking at them as learning moments and calling people and say, hey, look, this didn't work. How do we fix it? Anxiety goes down. Stress goes down. Innovation goes way up because you're not afraid of making a mistake. Right. And that's part of that tribal culture. We solve problems together. We care about each other. We protect each other. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing. So I'm in, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Chester, and guess that you are a proponent for the of the idea that if we have a culture where people actually care about each other, it's not just the right thing to do. It's it's actually pretty good for business. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And if you ever needed a case study, you know, it's yeah. And and by the way, in our in our research around gratitude that we you know published in our book, Leading with Gratitude, case after case bore that out. I mean, we have a dozen case studies of caring cultures that have extraordinary results. Mm. Fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a perfect introduction to, I've seen some of the ideas that you're going to share today and I'm already, I'm already deliberating in and tag and in, internally with <laughs> which one do I want to go deep on? Cause I want to go deep on all of them. But uh, if you don't mind, before we, before we have a deeper discussion on some of the ideas that uh, you're going to share on how do we actually do this? How do we build a culture where people truly care about each other? Can you, uh, can you just go through what you believe are the 10 most important things a leader to do, needs to do to build this type of culture? 
and just kind of a bullet list here. And then we'll go deep on a few um, after we hear your top 10. Well, you know, this, this is going to be kind of tough because you and I talked about this and we wrote them down and I changed the order. So I might not get this right. So I know you wrote them down. <laughs> so I got and, you back. I got you back. Yeah, they're not in any <laughs> rank order, although they kind of are actually. Uh, number one is really just lead with gratitude. Mm. I just think that's so important. And, and, and the cousin to that is assume positive intent. Number two is assume positive intent. Mm. I, I just think that's so key in any culture of caring. Now I might get from then on, I'm, I'm shooting blind here. So uh, <laughs> I love the idea of a caring culture where we know each other's stories. Mm. I think that's so important. And along with that, you as the leader, you need to share your story. So that would be three and four. Um, be a good listener. And I know that's hard for a, a lot of leaders, particularly new leaders, because we have so many great ideas and we, and we want, want uh, people to know them. I also think it's really important in, in a caring culture that you walk in their shoes, mm. know people's jobs, know, know what it is that they go through every day, be an ally uh, to the people that work with and for you. And we did a lot of research on this in our latest book, Anxiety at Work, that you've got someone at work that's your ally that, that cares about you. Be kind. I think it's just so important. Yeah, my morning mantra is, be kind, be grateful, be of service. We, we discount, I think, in a world where we're checking boxes and getting stuff done, the, the, the simple courtesies in everyday life of, of being kind. And then are we up to 10? Are we close? Pretty, pretty close. I think you had a couple more on there um, that random acts of kindness is uh, similar to being kind, but I th you had actually separated that out. Yes, I, I, I think, you know, as, as leaders in particular, have a goal. And I, and I have a checklist that I go through every day. Did I perform a random act of kindness today? And then number 10, I think we're at number 10 now, is <laughs> what are your three? You know, we have a wonderful practice in our family. At the end of the day, we ask, what are three things you were grateful for today? And often it's many more than three. Mm. And as you know, a lot of research has been done. Ending the day in a state of gratitude uh, is really helpful in a lot of ways. So hopefully that was 10. Close enough for government work. Chester. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, these, are, these are ideas that um, you have seen over things that you're practicing personally, seen, you've seen organizations that you work with practicing, and a lot of these are backed up by a ton of research. And so, so I want to go deep on a couple of them that um, I think I need to improve on. So in particular, let's start off with assume positive intent. So let's just start off. With, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, it's really interesting. We got this from one of the greatest leaders I've had the privilege to know. His name is Scott O'Neill. He uh, recently left the uh, Philadelphia 76ers as their CEO. Mm. And uh, they also own the uh, New Jersey Devils. Having been born in, in Canada, it was much more important for me that he was the CEO of the Devils. Than the Sixers. <laughs> yeah. That's a story for another time. Um, Scott actually has this etched in stone above the back door to his house so that he and his kids and his family the, the, the last thing they see when they leave the house is assume positive intent. He also uses it to great effect in every organization that he's managed. And it's very simple. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. Think about a culture where you assume that everybody that came to work wanted to do a good job, mm -hmm. that there were no politics, that you know they really set out to do their best every day. 
And that in trying to do their best, they're going to make mistakes and that's okay. We just fix the, the mistakes. Indra Noy, who we interviewed for, for our book, the past CEO of Pepsi, who took them to great acclaim, said, you know, when you assume positive intent about people, everything gets better. It's all <laughs> about assuming, you know, it's all about solving the problem. It's not about when you assume negative intent, it's, you very quickly get irritated. You get angry. It's the blame game. How could you do this? How could you be so stupid? Well, you know, the opposite of assume positive intent is assuming negative intent. Right. And when you do that, and when people are afraid to tell you they've made a mistake, what do they do? They hide their mistakes. It's the worst possible thing that can happen because it's all going to come out eventually. So let's be proactive. So in, in a culture where you assume positive intent about people, I think relationships are better. Problem solving goes up. People aren't afraid to innovate. Mm. Right? Back to WD-40, we don't make mistakes. We have, we have learning moments. So I think that is so key to a culture of caring. I care about you and you care enough about me to tell me as a leader, when you've made a mistake, it all comes back full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So now this is, this is a lot easier said than done, Chester, um, oh, yeah. because we are wired, we are wired to scan for the negative. Right. And, and I know this is something I, I struggle with as much as I want to be someone who's always assuming positive intent and scanning for the positive. Um, I just don't think it's in my genes. So, you know, it's, 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 it takes practice. What is your guidance for, for somebody like me who wants to get better at this? We, we want to, we want to be able to, um, assume the best in every case and scan for the positive more often. How, how do we get better at this? Well, first off, what you just said is really important. You've got to understand that the human brain isn't wired to keep you happy. It's wired to keep you safe. Mm. And that's why we scan for the negative. That's why when we know it's a one in 10 million possibility that something's going to happen to us, we still put on our seatbelt. Thoughts right. <laughs> I mean, are a little lower than that, but you, you get my point. Right. Uh, we're, we're always looking for danger. So knowing that your brain is wired that way, I think is important. So how do you rewire your brain? And it comes back to that idea of we care about people. I'm going to assume positive intent. I'm going to rewire my brain that when I see you, I'm going to assume that you didn't set a goal this morning that you were going to screw up with four customers before noon. <laughs> that was not your goal, right? Even though that may be what happens, that was not your intent. Your intent was you wanted to put in a good day's work. As my father would say, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And I think when you start looking at people that way, and by the way, not just at work, at home, as you interact with your kids and your neighbors and so on, say, look, I don't think that their intent was to upset me. Now, look, there is a fraction of a percent where that may be the case. And we can identify those situations and those people and we can you know, protect ourselves. The fact is, I'm convinced that 99.9% .9 of people on the planet are, are, are good and decent people. And we should give them that grace. We should give them that optimism. And, you know, when you approach people that way, by the way, they can feel it. They know it. They can tell. Okay. And it just opens up things to so, so much positivity. So A, know that your brain is wired to be negative and know that you consciously need to rewire that. And just think in the back of your head, I think this, I think this person is, is coming to do a good job today. I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume positive intent. 
So it's just making that new habit, right. Of, of maybe having an internal mantra of every time you interact with someone, just telling yourself, Hey, this person's intent is to do the best they can to do good. Yeah. Yeah. I give it a go and get back to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, um, I'm, I'm guessing that one of the other ideas that you shared, I think is going to be tied to this ability to assume positive intent. And so I want to go a little deeper on this too, the importance of knowing their story. Uh, so this is a little vague and I'm sure that's by design. Uh, you know, this is probably a chapter of, uh, I don't remember which book it's in, but I'm guessing this is a chapter of a book title or a, a title of a book chapter. And the idea is that, you know, you want to draw people in. So first, can you just, what do you mean by, uh, I mean, I, I think I have an idea here, but in your words, what does it mean to know their, to know the team member's story, to know the tribe member's story? Yes. You know, my, my father uh, had such a huge influence on me. He's one of the happiest guys you'll ever meet. And um, the great thing about my dad was, is not only did you think he was amazing, when you hung around with him, you came away believing that you were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had that, he had that uh, effect on people. And, and he would, um, I don't know that he actually ever said this. You know, I, I feel like I, I quote my dad and, and he, he would be, um, you know, Yogi Bear, where he'd say, you know, Chess, I never said half the things I said. <laughs> I, I attribute so many things to my dad. Um, the idea is, is that the only people you really don't understand, in fact, the only people you really don't care for are people whose stories you don't know. Mm. Once you know someone's story, I think everything changes. And, and this was really important as we took a deep dive on what causes anxiety in the workplace. You know, with, with COVID in particular, anxiety levels skyrocketed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, not just at home, just in life. Right. And you and I were talking uh, previously that, you know, before COVID, about one in five employees said they suffered from some kind of anxiety disorder. It was 18 percent, which, you know, is still pretty high. And during COVID, it jumped to 30 percent. Wow. And then in millennials, it jumped to 42 percent. So the, the idea mm. that I'm anxious. And, and what causes us to be anxious? Well, I don't think people care about me. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my performance. I'm worried about where we are, where we're going. How are we going to get there? How do I fit? It causes all kinds of uh, erratic behavior, perfectionism. Everything I do has to be perfect. You know, I can never, back to WD-40, I can never make a mistake. Mm. I have to be perfect in everything I do. Well, you can imagine, anxiety levels go up. Well, you know, this idea about knowing their story. Um, Dory Clark, one of our um, favorite leadership gurus, she teaches at uh, Duke University. She said, you know, we've all known this. If, you've, if you were in junior high, <laughs> you get that when you're worried about what everybody thinks about you, it becomes paralyzing. Well, if I know what your story is, you know, you, you can imagine feeling that way all the time. You, maybe mm. you're the only woman on the team. You're the only uh, person on the team whose English is a second language. You may be the only Muslim on the team and you've got to figure out three times a day to a quiet place where you can go pray. Well, we've started to do these exercises with executive teams and even board members where we say, tell us your story. How did you get here? You know, what do you want to accomplish? And why? Mm. Think about that. How did you get here? Tell me your story. You know, for me, it's really simple. Born in Edmonton, Alberta, to a ridiculously happy family. <laughs> John Dalton Elton and Irene Tanner Elton were the two of the greatest parents ever. 
in my life. And they taught me principles like assume positive intent, care about people, be kind, be of service. And then you go through your, your career. Here's where I worked. Here's how I got here. You know, people often ask me, how did you and Adrian Gostick meet? You've written 14 books together. It's a great story, right? Once you know my story, that I'm Canadian, and yes, you can assume I'm a hockey fan, right? Uh, and go through, all of a sudden, everything about me is easy and fun and engaging. We've had stories, I will tell you, Matt, we've done this with leadership groups, and people have told their stories and, and, and broken down in tears because not everybody grew up with Dalton Irene Elton. Mm. You know, they had tough lives. They ran away from home. They had addictions. They have overcome huge obstacles. I, I was with a group down in Philadelphia, eight leaders, four told their stories and, and their dreams and, and why they were here and very positive. The first story after lunch was, she said, that's not my story. Mm. You know, my, my dad was mean. My mother was cruel and I ran away from him. And the fact that she got to where she is, it was so interesting that the whole group was like, oh, so now I get it. When your guard is up and you're maybe a little cautious, I get why that is now. Yeah, I imagine the respect for her went up a whole nother level too, just knowing what she had to overcome to get where she is, right? It, it was an amazing story. I mean, Matt, even telling you about it is emotional for me. Because, yeah, I could see. And then we went around at the end and we said, what's one word to describe everybody on the team? You know what her word was? Mm. courageous mm. i mean going from the difficult one on the team to being the courageous one on the team you can imagine the dynamic completely changed why because they knew her story mm. well so i do want to i do want to segue from that and to tell your story because i i can totally understand the importance of you know, you know somebody's story you know a little bit about them it's really hard not to have some modicum of compassion for somebody if you understand what they've gone through. So how does that tie in? How does telling your story help build this culture where people are caring about each other? Such a great question. Uh, the reason it's important for you as a leader to tell your story is because it makes it safe for everyone else to tell theirs. Mm. You know, vulnerable leaders are, are in such demand right now. It's so interesting in our, you know, over 20 years of studying, you know, culture and leadership and teams and so on. The red thread has always been gratitude. The best leaders, the best cultures, the best teams all had this spirit of gratitude. And what happens when a leader tells his or her story and becomes vulnerable, it creates not just psychological safety at work, which is a lot of research has been done on that at Harvard School of Business, I think it raises the bar to emotional safety. Mm. It makes, I, I'm emotionally safe in this area. And it's so funny, like two or three years ago, Matt, if you'd asked me, what are the characteristics of great leaders? I'd say inspirational, um, visionary, you know, uh, motivational, you know, engaging. You know what it is right now? There's only one characteristic in a great leader that matters right now. And mm. it's empathy. Mm. If you are not, if you are not if you're not a leader that understands empathy, your odds of attracting and, and, and keeping great people just go way down. And the way that you display that first step to empathy is tell your story. Tell your story. How did you get here? You know, what do you want to accomplish? 
and why? Yeah, just opening up the door for for other people to feel safe to share. That's huge. Yeah, I think I think that's something that's that's definitely lacking in so many so many cultures where people just say, "Oh, I I can't share that because I might be perceived as weak or I might be perceived as less than how people think of me now." And um, just having having a leader who's willing to get up and say, "Hey, here's where I screwed up. <laughs> you sure. know, here's here's how I got here. Here's some of the failures along the way. It just changes everything, right?" Yeah, and and so many leaders want sort of this mystique. Mm-hmm. I sort of arrived here. Yeah, but people people don't connect with that, right? I mean, it's like there's there's some allure to that if you're just you know you want to read somebody's book or you want to see a, an inspiring speech from them. But if you actually want to work with them, you're not going to connect with them as a human if you just see them as perfect, right? Because no one truly is. Right. Right. Yeah. Perfectionism. It, it, you know, it's the enemy of just getting stuff done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might get, and this idea that, you know, and there is a lot of pressure, I think, especially, you know, in the younger generations to have the, the perfect, you know, Instagram life and Facebook life. And, and my TikTok is amazing. My life is amazing. Nobody's life is always amazing. Every everybody has ups and downs, and in fact, I think you, you know who the who your real friends are, and and who really does care about you. It's it's not in the good times; it's in the bad times. Of course, mm, yeah. You know who's 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 willing to really crawl down into that dark space with you and say, "Hey, um, I'm here. I may not understand exactly what you're going through. I've been through hard times too." And I'm here not to be your therapist or your father confessor. I'm here to listen. Mm. That's why that made the, the list, right? Is be a good listener. Be a good listener. People will tell you what's going on. And, and then you can be of service. Then you can really be of help. Yeah, the most important first step. And it, perhaps one of the most powerful ways to be kind. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that as well. Um, what I, I'm going to guess that anyone who's who's gotten to this point, they're they're really interested in building a culture of care. They understand the importance of being kind if you want to have that type of culture. So let's just jump right into what is your guidance if you if you just if you're finding it hard to create a culture where people are kind to each other because that oftentimes is being is seen as a weakness. Right. So how, what's your guidance for helping kindness become more of a norm in a culture and be seen as a strength instead of a liability? I, you know, I'm a huge believer in rituals. You know, I, I think in, in your organization, you can, and I know you have this in the companies that, uh, that you lead, where, you know, you, you kick off the team meeting by saying, hey, um, Bill Manning does this really well. He's the president of Toronto FC, the MLS team up in Toronto, Canada. He has his, his team meetings and he pulls somebody out and says, who do you want to thank today? Somebody on the team that's mm. done something to help you out. And then he's got, it's actually like a $200 gift card to local retailers or restaurants or whatnot. So it's significant. And it's not for you. It's for you to give to somebody else on the team. Mm. I mean, an act of kindness. He said, I knew we really were getting to a culture of kindness when I, and I'll just pick random names. I called Bob up and Bob said, I want to recognize Susan in accounting. She always takes care of my season ticket holders and on and on. And Susan comes up and says, I've been waiting for six months to get picked because <laughs> Jake, who's, you know, the maintenance guy needs to be, and she gave away her 
her, you know, recognition. Immediately. Yes, wow. immediately. And you thought, and, and so what does that ritual perpetuate? All during the week, all during the month, you're thinking, if I get picked, who am I going to, who am I going to thank? Who am I going to be kind to? And I just love that ritual. A lot of teams will say, okay, what are three things that went right today? You know, right. anybody on the team want to call out somebody on the team that's doing a great job? I mean, those simple rituals that are baked in that people can rely on and anticipate. I'm also a huge fan of handwritten notes. Hmm. And I think leaders that, you know, that's, it's different. I, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't text people and do the blast emails and all that. I think that's great because it's very timely. There's something about when you take time to, to write a note, the, the work of a hand, you know, they, uh, and you put it on the back of a, a, a beautiful photo, or maybe you've got your own brand, you know, we've got carrots all over everything from our book, you know, right. Orange is our favorite. One of my favorite books, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah. Principle. And, and the idea is these, these, you know, little random acts of kindness, um, handwritten notes, a little pat on the back, a kind word, being kind. It, it is underrated and undervalued. Who doesn't? What I love about handwritten notes is they're always timely because you take, you take the time, hmm. open it up and read it. And uh, I, I just think those things, I, I, I had a habit when my kids were in university, every Sunday, I would write them a letter. And I was always pleased that when they came home from college, you know, as they started their lives and careers, the things that they would throw away and they, uh, they never threw away the box of letters. Mm. And that was very, uh, very impactful for me. Wow. Chester, thank you so much uh, for your time today and having this conversation and, and being vulnerable yourself, um, you know, sharing some, some very beautiful parts of your life, which have touched me. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You bet. You know, um, leading with gratitude, being kind, it's, it's not just a better way to run your business. We can prove that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a better way to live your life. And, and that's our, our message at the end. Don't, don't leave all these good practices at work. Take them home to the people that mean the most to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of gratitude, for those of you who want uh, some helpful guidance on in making gratitude one of your rituals um, and really you know, finding creative ways to bring gratitude into your life, um, Chester and Adrian, his co-author, actually have a newsletter on LinkedIn. Um, it's a gratitude journal newsletter. So you can, you can follow them there, get some great guidance there. Um, and the newest book is Anxiety at Work, which we'll have a link to in the show notes along with uh, Chester's top 10. And you can also uh, go find them at, at gosticandelton.com. And we'll have a link to that as well in the show notes so that you can get, get on their newsletter and get lots of great guidance on how to actually live these things. So until the next time I have an opportunity to help you in some way, I hope, and uh, at least interact with you here via the podcast, I wish you great success building a world-class organization that makes a positive impact in the lives of team members and in the global community. Bye for now. Bye.